If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Crothy. And I'm Hall Burkhart, buddy. We were hanging on the edge on this one. <laughs> yeah, the old internet technical difficulties had me uh, on the ropes there for a few minutes, but we got it together. Yeah, we did. So, buddy, we uh, have what I think is going to be a fun episode this week because um, we're going to be doing something that's kind of similar to an episode we did before, back with our buddy King Tom, where we talked about Sierra Online Adventure Games. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time, we're covering Lucas Arts Adventure Games. And just like with the Sierra episode, we got a special guest. And our guest this week to help us talk about uh, maniac mansions and uh, uh, archaeologists and a, a dog and a rabbit that are detectives and all kinds of pirates, whatever the fuck. It's our buddy Emily Lynn from the Canto Bite Dispatch. Hello. Emily's my book buddy, by yep. the way. Yep. She's, she and I talk all the time on the stream about books, and it's awesome to have somebody similar taste in literature. Yep. Yep. Look at you guys. Big brain reading and stuff. Literate. Mm-hmm. I got literate friends up in here. Yeah, me and my big brain Columbo tie-in novels. Hey, <laughs> hey, man, listen. I respect a niche interest, and that's a niche interest. So, <clears throat> so listen, we're going to be talking um, about a span of games released by LucasArts between the years of 1986 and 2000. Um, now, unlike with Sierra, the list is not so long that I can't name off every game, you know, adventure game that they released. So I don't think we'll be hitting all of these because I don't know that any of us have played all of them. I certainly haven't. But the first LucasArts adventure game that was released was in 1986, and that was Labyrinth, uh, followed by Maniac Mansion, Zack McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Loom. The Secret of Monkey Island, Monkey Island 2, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, Day of the Tentacle, Sam and Max Hit the Road, Full Throttle, The Dig, The Curse of Monkey Island, Grim Fandango, and finally, Escape from Monkey Island. Some powerhouses of adventure games in there. Um, 
so I think we got a lot of co to cover some really fun stuff in there but why don't we sort of just kick it off talking about our individual experiences like maybe first times playing one of these games like maybe the first time you encountered one of these I guess Emily what do you think that would be for you I mean I think the first one I actually played would have been one of the Indiana Jones ones, mm -hmm. but I couldn't tell you which. But the ones that have sort of, that I think of and have left the same impression, and I cannot separate them because I do not know. I think we might have gotten them at the same time, mm -hmm. and that is Dave the Tentacle and Sam and Max Hit the Road. Yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah. later in sort of the LucasArts um, – you know, the, the lifespan of these adventure games, they started putting out these giant compilations where you would get like a bunch of them in one box. Um, that's how I played a lot of these. I didn't get a lot of these at release. Um, so I remember like when I was a kid, we had a computer and my uncle had a computer and he would like bootleg games for me and my dad. The first time I ever played like a Space Quest or a King's Quest was a, a bootleg copy. Um, and I remember him and my aunt playing Maniac Mansion, but I never played it. I remember seeing it and being like, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, I know for a fact the first one I played was um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which was like, you know, the the video game adaptation of the movie. It follows the plot of the movie very closely. Um, and my dad's a huge Indiana Jones fan, so... That's one we played together. And then from then on, you know, I sort of went off on my own path and discovered a lot of these myself. Um, what about you, Steve? <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, you were like, I will follow your career with great interest. Mm -hmm. um, mine was definitely Maniac Mansion, mm -hmm. for sure, 100%. Like, I remember getting that game. My father was always kind of amused with PC games at the time. You know, computers were still kind of a new thing for us. And games that he thought engaged your brain were better than just games where you're mindlessly running around shooting things, I guess, you know, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. a good parent. Mm -hmm. So, um, I remember that game being wacky. Like you, there was like, you had to pick your group of people mm -hmm. and there were so many like weird little variables that could affect the story. Uh, it was pretty cool. And I, I definitely played, um, escape from monkey Island a whole lot as well. Those two for sure were the big ones for me. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is, is, you know, there was like a shitty Nintendo NES port of Maniac Mansion. It's it's bad. It's very bad. Um, and I think, and and maybe this will stir some memories from you guys, like the big thing that differ differentiate, that made LucasArts games different than, say, like your Sierra games, is they used something called the Scum Engine, S-C-U-M-M. And to sort of just break it down, like, essentially, you know, the the top, say, three-fourths of your screen was the, the graphics, the visuals of the game. And then the bottom was all your commands. And you would mm -hmm. have, like, use, push, pull, give, talk, open. And you could use combinations of those words with items and characters and things on the screen to sort of solve puzzles and advance the plot. They used that, that engine for the majority of their games until... They moved over to, uh, I can't remember the name of the engines, maybe Grime, 
is what they moved around the time of Grim Fandango. Um, mm, but it was, that would make sense. Yeah, it was a mainstay for them. Um, Grim Fandango was definitely a leap in fidelity for them. Yeah, well, I mean, it was the second to last one of their games, you know? Like, it's pretty critically acclaimed, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Time? And yeah. still considered, like, mm -hmm. very well acclaimed. It's, you know, a, a big thing with that game is it's sort of what established Tim Schafer as, mm -hmm. you know, a person of interest in video game development, I guess. Like, the guy who later went on to make um, Double Fine, right? Mm -hmm. and Brutal Legend mm -hmm. and... Psychonauts and Psychonauts, yep, all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. He's still around today. He's, he's working for old Daddy Microsoft now. <clears throat> um, so when I think of Lucasfilm games, I think of them as like generally being like, I don't know, maybe you guys will push back on this, but um, they were a little more lenient than Sierra games, right? Like, you didn't have a lot of those scenarios where you make one wrong choice and two hours later your character dies, right? And you're like, shit, I shouldn't have let the alien kiss me or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And they were a little more wacky, too. Yeah, they all they all have a real similar sense of humor to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially if you look at Day of the Tentacle, Grim Fandango, mm -hmm. Sam and Max. Um, I think even um, Full Throttle would be in there, too. I, and and you're right because here's the thing is you don't you don't really die in those games. No. Mm -hmm. If 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 what you're doing is wrong, either the the scene will reset itself somehow, usually making fun of you, mm -hmm. or it just won't let you do it at all. Yep, yep. Um, and th so from if memory serves correctly, most of their games may or ha may have like maybe one or two scenarios where you can die like in the first monkey island there's a, a part where like they strap a an anchor to your foot and throw you in the water and if you don't solve the puzzle to get out of the water fast enough i think you can draw drown but it's like it takes a while for that to happen <laughs> like if you know um like five minutes yeah something <laughs> crazy like that um and also they have i feel and once again maybe you guys will push back on this at least for the, you know, the, I would say, you know, leading up to maybe like The Dig, a very uniform graphical style and presentation, right? Um, you know, the, their games look unique to themselves, but also very similar in sort of art direction and presentation. Um, <clears throat> and I also find <clears throat> that maybe the LucasArts adventure games their puzzles aren't maybe as obtuse sometimes as the Sierra stuff, um, unless it's obtuse in the interest of humor. Like, they, they'll do that for sure. I mean, um, I had a hard time with Maniac Mansion as a kid. Yeah, I, no, I, I don't think I ever beat it. <laughs> no, I'm not saying they're hard. I'm just saying the, the solutions aren't necessarily as... Um, obtuse or or hard or uh i don't know a better word to say than some of the sierra stuff i mean i don't know so um double fine remastered a few of these games and i have actually mm -hmm. i've been playing them the last couple weeks 
on my iPad. Um, and they're sort of, they're, I mean, they're sort of great for, for iPad since it's all point and click. Uh, but I don't know if, if I had more patience as a kid, <laughs> if I was willing to just throw everything at the screen more as a kid. Mm-hmm. But I, I've definitely found myself like going to walkthroughs because I'm just like, I don't, some of it is, it, oh, sure. It is so not within the realms of what I would think to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, that, and, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that's, that is one thing that I'll give them is a lot of these games. Now, some of the ones that I would be more interested in, like the Indiana Jones games or Loom, I've got a whole lot to say about Loom when we get to it, um, aren't necessarily as easily access- accessible. But, you know, they did remasters of... The first two Monkey Island games, those came out on Xbox. I think they were both uh, Summer of Arcade titles even, right, I was going to say, at least one of them was. At least the first I, one. And, yeah. and like, they redid the art, and they also had, a you know, an option where you could go back to the classic art style. Um, and I remember, like, talking a lot of shit to Steve, right, saying... Oh man, I'm gonna beat Monkey Island, no problem. <laughs> Holy shit, boy, I can't wait to get my hands on Monkey Island. T- 15, 20 minutes go by, and I've got my walkthrough pulled up, and I'm like, well, this is the way we're going from here. Yeah, I mean, you, we just didn't have that, you mm-hmm. know, back mm-hmm. in the day. So it, you would just did, try. Believe me, if we did, I would have been on the internet in mm-hmm. two seconds looking up solutions like to stuff. Mm-hmm. These games were, were kind of tough still, I think, even though maybe you're right, not as tough as maybe Space Quest or King's Quest. They, they still had a degree of difficulty. Oh, you know? yeah. I'm not saying they're easy. I'm just saying, like, they're easier. Right. right. I'm saying particularly more in the earlier days. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Maniac Mansion was a little tougher than, say, a game like Grim Fandango. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Although that's no no shade on either game. No. Just diff- different styles. <laughs> um, so, you know, this is also the era of PC gaming that I fucking loved. Because if you bought the actual boxed copy, boy, did you get your hands on some goodies. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, mm-hmm. I remember the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade copy that my dad and I got came with indy's dad's grail journal it wasn't the manual for the game it served no other purpose than just a replica of the grail journal and every single page was filled with writing and art there was like fake coffee cup stains like he had set his (laughs) coffee cup down on the journal while he was writing like incredible incredible stuff you're man. right you, you you know it's so fu- it, it's very similar to music like when you mm-hmm. think about vi- vinyl in the 70s you know you got mm-hmm. this big huge presentation and, and great liner notes usually pictures and then it eventually shrank and got smaller and smaller to where it doesn't even exist anymore mm-hmm. you know and it's the same way with with games yeah on the same route <laughs> um and the thing i remember about the last crusade that I liked as a kid because I watched that movie endlessly was like Mm -hmm. watching the movie was my walkthrough. Like I remember getting stuck. Like, do you guys remember the part in the movie where Indy and the lady that turns out to be a Nazi um, (laughs) are hanging out in the 
is it a chapel or a, or a library, right? And they're trying to find the entrance to the catacombs where the other part of the whatever the fuck, man. And, like, in the movie, he bangs out the floor with, like, a, a pylon, and that's how they get down there. I was so stuck on that part. And then I remember, like, wait a second, what do they do in the movie again? And it literally was the solution I was looking for. Um, oh, nice. So I, and, you know, Star Wars has dozens of games out there, and several of them are really good. You can't say that for Indiana Jones. In fact, probably the only two really good Indiana Jones games are these two games. So for that alone, you know, I think they deserve some props. Um, so we're going to start going down the list. Did either of you guys play Labyrinth? It's not ringing no. a bell. And, and listen, if I had known there was a Labyrinth video game starring Jennifer Conley, boy, would right. I have been all over it, man. So this is that yeah. Labyrinth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, oh, George right. Lucas was involved with Labyrinth, right? So yeah. that makes sense. I've never <laughs> played it. Don't know anything about it. Wish I had, though, because I would have been all over it. Dance what? magic dance. Get at me. Surely oh, yeah, there's a I... Let's Play out there somewhere. Oh, yeah, and I bet you I could fucking emulate it. Um, <laughs> Maniac Mansion, Steve mentioned. Did you play that one, Emily? I know you like Day of the Tentacle, but did you play Mani the, Maniac Mansion? The only way I have played Maniac Mansion is it, within Day of the Tentacle, there is a, at one point a computer you have access to on which you can play Maniac Mansion. Nice. <laughs> oh, there is. That's crazy. That's really funny. Do you guys remember the Maniac Mansion TV show with Eugene Levy? What? Yes. There is a Maniac Mansion TV show that ran for three seasons starring Eugene Levy, and it's based off the game. I love oh. Eugene Levy. Yeah, me too, man. Pff, us eyebrow boys got to stick together. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, what about Zach McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders? Did either of you guys play that? That definitely rings a bell. It does. I'm, I'm, I might have played it briefly, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, I don't know. I knew it was the follow-up to Maniac Mansion, and that's probably why I had some interest. Because mm -hmm. I did sink a good bit of time into Maniac Mansion. That's one I never played. I don't even know if I was familiar with it. Um, now, then we get into what I think a lot of people would consider sort of the heyday of um like all these games are awesome i'm not saying labyrinth maniac mansion any of those last crusade are bad but i think lucas arts really hits its stride in like 1990 right because in 1990 you get loom which if you guys haven't played let uh let your old halls take the wheel here i fucking love loom dude describe the gameplay okay <sighs> loom by the way, I think, and get at me, Zelda boys. I know you're going to come for me. I hear you, Twitter Smoke Brian. I think <laughs> Ocarina of Time owes some um, props to Loom. Because Loom, instead of having sort of that goofy LucasArts film or LucasArts game feel to it, it's actually kind of a serious fantasy setting. And when I say fantasy, I mean weird fantasy, bro. Like, there's... There's like, because the loom in the title is the loom of space and time, right? 
It's this mystical loom that weaves all space and time together. And you play a wizard who casts spells through magic. And by magic, I mean you actually have like a musical meter you pick the notes out on, right? And you play the songs and they do different magic spells. I fucking love loom, you guys. Loom rules. I'm looking up the um, box art, and it's definitely bringing some bells right now, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And, okay, yeah, I've definitely seen that. Yeah. yeah, and by the way, once again, when you got Loom, in the box was an audio CD that had a 30-minute audio adventure prologue. Wow. I definitely never played this game, looking at the screenshots. Man, do I love it. Do I love it. Looks like I would have loved it, though, especially um, if I gave it a try a few years later when I had gotten into music, you know? Yeah, and it's it's a little bit um, dark. It's a little darker. You know, it's not anything super dark. You know, it's not like you're playing, like, David Fincher's Loom. You know? <laughs> David like, Cronenberg. Yeah, Cronenberg's Loom. Loom. <laughs> but look at this. I'm going to share. Oh, well, I would share, but it's the size of a postage stamp. Never mind. God damn it. Um I, I just love this game. In fact, it was um, a free download through like Prime Gaming a couple months ago, and I was like, "Well, I'm getting that. Maybe I'll play it on stream sometime." Nice, yeah, um, watch. And it actually kind of l- ends on a cliffhanger. And bro, I was hanging on a thread. Get it? Loom thread. Never mind. <laughs> For a fucking sequel to Loom, and it never happened. Um, they said it sold well enough, but just not um, well enough to, you know, get a sequel. Because um, they were planning two more sequels, one called Forge and one called The Fold. Um, man. What could have been, man? If I win the lottery, that's what I'm going to do. I'm a you finance bring back that franchise. Yep, I'm a finance and uh, 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 beautiful remaster of Loom, and that'll lead into the two sequels. And then there goes my fucking lottery money. Um, okay. <laughs> there, there so goes. then in 1990, what also comes out, and this is, I think, going to be the standout for a lot of people. Monkey um, Island. Yep, the secret of Monkey yeah. Island. Um, Big one. Big, big game here. Uh, the first game I ever played on CD-ROM, the first PC game I ever ha- played that had voiceover. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Loom had a voiceover version, but I didn't have that one. Um, did you ever play Monkey Island, Emily? Yeah, and this is like when you're starting to get into more of like what the rest of the mm-hmm. LucasArts games will feel mm-hmm. like. Yep. Absolutely. I think Monkey Island comes out and is a huge success and then kind of dictates the future of LucasArts games in a good way, right? Yeah, it's like, all iterations on mm-hmm. that in the future and mm-hmm. just various like different kind of settings and you know, they're it, it, they're no less inventive, you know what I mean? Like they, no. some of their settings are wild, but it all started with Monkey Island as far as I'm concerned. That was like the jump off point for them as a huge franchise. Mhm. Um, so for those that don't know, the secret of Un- monkey Island, uh, stars a wannabe pirate by the name of Guybrush Threepwood. Better was- best watch out on that next character draft. Um, oh shit. <laughs> um, 
And once again, it follows the LucasArts adventure game sort of format with the scum engine. Um, I think um, one of the things that might stand out most to me personally is the fact that um, you can get into sword battles in this game. Do you guys remember the sword battle system in this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's not about con uh, combat. It's about insulting and coming back against insults from your opponent. Like, mm -hmm. it's all, like, a game of, like, roasting your opponent. And it was... So, I loved that. <laughs> I loved it, too. It frustrated me as a kid because it's a puzzle. It's another puzzle, right? Like, you literally have to sort of memorize the correct response to each of these things. And a couple of them have variations you can use. But once you figure it out, it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny and it's pretty fun. Um... It's got, like, a really fun cast of characters. Um, there's a ghost pirate named LeChuck. There's big-time Goonies vibes in the end of it when you're, like, infiltrating his pirate ship. I love it. I love The Secret of Monkey Island. I feel like they really were trying to create games that would appeal to as big of an audience as possible mm -hmm. and, and really succeeding, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, whereas before... PC gaming was still kind of a niche, you know, in the late eighties, you know, but it was starting to kind of become this thing mm -hmm. and they were really kind of on the crest of it. Yeah. Honestly, and, and like, you know, it. I mentioned, this is the first CD ROM game I ever played before I played mist boring ass mist. I, it's all right. Mist is okay. <laughs> I went a little too hard on Mist. my bad. Um, <laughs> mist sucks. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. It's just a little bored. Fuck Mist. He's got the <laughs> devil and the angel on his yep, shoulder. Yep. <laughs> um, and it like I just remember playing it and being like, can can all video games be like this? This is what I'm here for. Is this like I as a kid? Like I was seven or eight when I played this. I was like, the humor's hitting for me. I don't even like pirates, but this shit is cool, right? Right. You're just able to tell somehow that there's something different mm -hmm. about the way the game is written versus other games you've played up to that point. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yep. And um, speaking of Loom, this I promise will probably be the last Loom reference. <laughs> so there's this part when, early on in the game when you go into a tavern and like there's this um, you're trying to break this guy out of jail. Right. And the way you do it is you collect all these empty mugs. You fill them with grog and the grog eats through the mugs. Right. It's like acidic. So you have to run. And every now and then you pour the grog into a fresh mug before it like melts out the bottom. And one of the guys you talk to in the tavern has a huge loom patch or tattoo on his arm. And every piece of dialogue from him is just a infomercial about the game Loom. And That's I remember funny. I remember seeing it and going, These are my people. These are <laughs> my, what? Loom? Cause like this was still sort of before I was like associating developers and the same thing. Like, I don't even know if I made the connection between Lucas Arts and Star Wars, really. I can't say for sure. Um because I probably would have tried to get every damn game if I did. Um, but I love Monkey Island. What we Like we were saying earlier, they did a, um, a re-release on Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 in 2009. I think it's still backwards compatible <clears throat> on um, 
three on like you know your xbox ones or your series x's um certainly has to be on steam i would bet um and i think it's well worth a play it's one of those games that like you can beat in a night right especially if you're using a walkthrough no yeah and guess how much they spent to make this game and i have no idea this blew my mind when i saw this because you know, there's a lot of talk of like budgets for games. Like, I think one didn't they say at one point The Witcher Three cost seventy million dollars or something crazy, right? Two hundred thousand dollars. Wow, man, that's a steal. Good lord, yeah, that's nothing. I might able. I mean, I I feel like I could come up with that money if I really had to. Like, <laughs> right. If I really had to come up with two hundred thousand dollars, I could do it. Like mm-hmm. I was, I'm just sitting here thinking, like, well, maybe. Maybe I don't need to win the lottery for my whole loom ambitions here, man. Maybe I'll just save well, you know? Um, so, you know, uh, Monkey Island, by far, when it comes out, it gets, like, great reviews. It's their most successful game to date, right? Um, Computer and Video Games Magazine gave it a nine, 94%. Um the fucking Amiga. Get out of here, Amiga. I don't care what the fucking Amiga says. <laughs> Amiga. Did Betamax um, have a review of it? Probably. Well? Probably. Um, it's like the Sega Master System. Get the fuck out of here, Sega Master System. <laughs> um, um, and it is followed real quickly the next year in 1991 by Monkey Island to LeChuck's Revenge. Um, That's fast. Really fast, right? Can you imagine, like, think of, okay, so for instance, Steve, um, through influence of the stream and you, Emily's gotten into Slay the Spire, right? Oh, man, yeah. And if you guys want to, I'll start the timer now. If y'all want some Slay the Spire time, have at it. But can you imagine if you got way into a game like Slay the Spire or anything, Elden Ring, in the very next year there was a sequel? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I know. Pretty crazy, right? You don't see that these days. It was it was, it was a little more common back then, I think. Um, yeah, you know, for games to kind of push sequels out. Now, a year later is is really fast, but at the same time, it was either a year or two years, and anything after that, you're like. They must be doing something new, or you know? or I guess I just guess we're never going back to the Monkey Island guys. <laughs> guys, do you guys remember the island with the monkeys? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this game, 
came out and was not as well received. I'll be honest with you. I've played. I played it back in the day. I played it when they did because they did another remake. You know, just like for the first one, it came out in 2010, so they followed the release schedule. <laughs> it is much less memorable, and probably because of the accelerated development cycle, is missing a lot of the elements of the first one. In fact, there's way less puzzles, and, Which, and that's sort of like the whole point of the game. Yeah, right. and. What's funny is on the back of the original box, they mention that the reason it has that stripped down um, puzzle mode with less puzzles is uh, so video game reviewers can beat it. Like they even mention it and take a jab. Journalist mode. Yep. Yep. They even <laughs> um, now, listen, I'm about to drop a big spoiler for Monkey Island 2. A damn 40-year-old oh, no. game or whatever the fuck. So <laughs> I guess turn away. But they made what I felt was like a critical error, 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 error in this game by the end of the game basically says, oh, Monkey Island 1 and 2 were just a dream. Like the game ends with Guybrush waking up as a kid in an amusement park where he has... um passed out or something Terrible. and Just i was so like, lame and it must have disappointed me so much as a kid that i like regressed and er erased it from my memory because when i replayed it on the 360 i was like how did i forget this um and <laughs> you know i don't know the full story but there was some like um some falling out with um, Ron Gilbert, the original creator, because um, Monkey Island went away for a while after this. Mm -hmm. The next game in the series was was quite a while after this. They, they kind of put the series on ice for a while. And I think the ending of that game might have, you know, certainly helped with that. Um, so, you know, uh, 1991, we get Monkey Island 2. Then, 1992, we get a real big one in the Burkhart household. And that is Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Emily, oh, damn. Did you yeah, ever play I mean, this one? Being, being a nine-year-old kid mm -hmm. and there's a new Indiana Jones story? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. What about you, Steve? Did you ever play this one? Never played this one. Mm -mm. Buddy, can I... I think I was kind of punted on them after LeChuck's Revenge. You said, uh-uh. I said, I'm out for you a cut while. cut off! <laughs> um, I was in Street Fighter then. Fair enough. I was too, but listen. So, you know, we had, um, we had a radio shack in Columbus. That's where my dad did the majority of his computer shopping and computer game shopping. And I remember... The day. So when I was a kid, around this time, when we would get off from school, my dad would still be doing the McDonald's thing. So we would go over to this old lady's house and she was our babysitter. And we'd stay there until she got off work. And I remember school gets out and I'm leaving school with my sister and my dad's parked out in front of the school. I was like, oh shit, dad's picking us up from school today. And I get in there and his Ford Taurus, he's smoking a cigarette with the windows up. And he's like, um, I decided to take the day off for the day. And I was like, okay, that's cool. We're headed home. And he was like, you're never going to believe what I found. 
I'm like, what do you, what did you find? And he produces a Radio Shack bag. And he goes, just look. Like, my dad was flabbergasted. My dad, <laughs> the biggest Indiana Jones fan I've ever met. And I reach in and pull out a brand new sealed copy of Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. And I was like, is this a fucking dream, yo? And the first question I asked him was, is there going to be a movie for this? And he was like, I don't know. I don't know. I just went by to see your uncle and I bought it. I saw it and I bought it. This was the event of 1992 in the Burkhardt household. <laughs> I love this. This is so wholesome. Did y'all play through the whole thing together? Oh, yeah, bro. Oh, awesome. yes. Yes, we did. Um, what's interesting is um, you, there's a point early on in the game where you get three different ways you can play the rest of the game, right? There's the team path, the wits path, and the fists path. So it's actually got some replayability. It's got different cutscenes, different puzzles and stuff. I love this game. I Let me love... ask you something. Yep. Let me ask you something. When you and him played, who was the one controlling it? We'd switch you or off. Him? We'd you switch would switch off? off? Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay, nice. that's cool. I yeah. like that. A lot of times I'd sort of sit in his lap and we'd trade off, but other times we'd sit side by side and try to figure puzzles out and stuff. My dad was always very, um, I don't know what the word is. Like, he was very insistent on me, like, fucking around with computers, right? Mm -hmm. It's probably why I like computers and gadgets and such so much today. <clears throat> um, but yeah, man, I love The Fate of Atlantis. I haven't played it since I was a kid. It's easily accessible. Like, I, I could go get it on good old games and play it right now. But it's one of those things that I'm almost nervous to go play because I don't know if it would have the same impact or if I'd be like, this game kind of sucks. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you don't want to mess with your nostalgia vibes, you know. Um, and, you know, it, this was the closest thing to a new Indiana Jones movie we were going to get for a very long time. And honestly, it probably should have been, at least for the last one, man. <laughs> Shia yeah, you know, I for whatever reason, just like the visuals of this game, I remember mm -hmm. so like I remember the way Indy looked in this game and how he like looked even in terms of like being pasted onto the background and stuff. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it's like I'm controlling Indiana Jones. That's incredible. Yeah, and the music was awesome. Um it actually has one of my um I would say one of my favorite art styles of the Lucas Arts video games, um, because you know it, it sort of hues a little more realistic. It feels very in tone with the rest of the Indiana Jones movies and stuff. Like here, I can show you some screenshots, Steve. These shouldn't be tiny, I hope. But you know, you're oh, Indiana yeah. Jones. You're hanging out with a pretty redheaded lady whose name I can't remember, and you're on. Adventures. You're an adventure boy. You know? <laughs> boy, man, I can't wait. I'm going to play this again. I just know it. Um, <clears throat> okay. So, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis comes out. And then we get to some big ones. 1993 brings Day of the Tentacle. Now, I know from my friendship with Emily, um, this is one for her. This is a bigger one for her, right? Oh, 
Absolutely. So mm-hmm. like like we we were talking about Maniac Mansion and this is this is a sequel to those, although I never I never played those. They, they you don't really need to know anything. They kind of tell you there's an opening sequence where mm-hmm. this little <laughs> this, you absurd. open the door, there's a little hamster who's come to get you because the the tentacle one of the tentacles has become evil and has tied up the scientist from the first game and is going to take over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is some really fun mechanics in it because so there's there's three major characters. There's your stereotypical nerdy guy with the glasses and the high waist pants. There's cool rock and roll fat guy, and there's um, crazy chick who is like the sister. Mm-hmm. And so the tentacle, you know, one of the tentacles is trying to take over the world and the three characters get sent through time machines, uh, which are uh, portajons. Mm-hmm. And so one of your characters is back in colonial times. One of yours is in present day of, I guess, 93. And then the other is 200 years in the future. And you can use the the toilet time machines to send objects to the other characters. Mm-hmm. So you have this added because all I mean all of these games, you know, it's figuring out how to use items to interact with the environment to solve puzzles. Mm-hmm. But this has the added complication of figuring out which character slash which time period needs a particular thing. Mm-hmm. which can nice. lead to you sending objects back and forth many times trying to figure it out <laughs> if you're me. I live but... in a toilet is what you're using to send it uh-huh. between worlds and time periods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Especially, you know, if you're aiming a game at, you know, like probably around 10 years old, which is mm-hmm. what I was. I think that's that's exactly the kind of humor that is going to work. And, you know, like, some of the puzzles are extremely complicated. Some of them are pretty simple. But, like, the characters are funny. The voice artwork is good. Um, I mean, for for the time, the, the art was it was good. Like, it, even the remastered version looks, you know, pretty crappy now. But I just, I just have such nostalgia for this one. Yeah, I remember, so I don't know that we ever had Day of the Tentacle, but it was one that I remember playing like at friends' houses and stuff and being kind of impressed by the graphics at the time, right? Because it had a very almost, it was when they were getting closer to being able to sort of pull off that hand-drawn animation look that you would get later in the LucasArts stuff and later in the Sierra stuff for sure. Um and I just remember being impressed by that. And of course, like it was fucking goofy and absurd. So I was like, well, I'm into this. I like this. Um, another game that, you know, Tim Schafer worked on um, at his time in LucasArts. And yeah, it, this is another game that they have a remaster of. I think it's on Game Pass because I think it's, you know, done with Double Fine, right? If not, it's easily accessible. And another one that I fully recommend people check out if this kind of game is your thing or if you listen to this and you're like, maybe that kind of game is my thing. Um, 
Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a pretty like good example mm-hmm. of what this style of game is. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the kind of puzzles. Just to give an example, like so, at one point you need some like I think the the end goal is you're trying to get some some like wood chopped, mm-hmm. but in order to do that, first one of your characters has to get a tin of red paint that you send to one of the other characters who paints a kumquat tree so that the kumquats are now red and then that character goes and points it out to George Washington who goes oh that's a cherry tree and and goes to chop it down yeah (laughs) yeah it's definitely got like um like, if you're like, okay, what's the craziest solution to this puzzle or the most absurd solution? You're probably going to get it. Um, and, like, I think the writing's solid. Um, I think it's a really good one. Like, honestly, <laughs> I mean, except for maybe a couple of these later ones we're going to talk about, I don't know that I would qualify any of these games as bad. There's certainly entries in some of the Sierra franchises that I'd say are pretty bad. Um, you know, a couple of King's Quest, maybe a Space Quest here and there aren't the strongest. But um, despite having a much smaller output than Sierra when it came to adventure games, I think most of their games are pretty damn good. Um, now, granted, a lot of that is, you know, in my nostalgia brain and it's probably best if I don't go revisit those. But as I stand right now, I think uh, I think they're pretty good. <clears throat> um that game was followed up. The next one on the list also came out in 1993. And this was one I did have was a big one. Sam and Max hit the road. Um, I love Sam and Max. I mean, it's talking animals, bro. It's a dog <laughs> and a rabbit hanging out. The rabbit's the smart ass. I mean, come on. Um, they're like private detectives slash vigilantes. And um, it's sort of like, you know, a crime-based. It's it's their answer to Little, police questions. It's, it's noir. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Um, yeah, and it, but it's mixed with this road trip mm-hmm. vibe, yep. which gets you to some cool locations. Like there's this kind of like tourist trap mystery spot you go to where like one of the rooms is one of those things like everything is upside down mm-hmm. and... And I think I think maybe because I saw so many places like that because we did a lot of like vacations when I was a kid was always we're going to some national park we're driving in our crappy VW van and we're so like we'd stop at a lot of those tourist trap things mm-hmm. and and so I think that really made this game connect with me quite mm-hmm. a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can totally see that. And this is another thing. Like so, once again. The the boxed copy of this game came with a comic book. I'm all about that. Um, and, you know, some other cool stuff. There was like a Sam and Max cartoon at one point, And it was a game that for years you would see stories about, you know, in the earlier internet gaming website days of they're working on a Sam and Max sequel and it would get canceled. Eventually, it did happen thanks to Telltale. Telltale Games basically resurrected this franchise after um, 
uh, getting the license, like getting the rights from um, LucasArts. And they did like Sam and Max and the Devil's Playhouse. I think they did two or three different full Sam and Max games. Um, I never played Sam and Max Beyond Time and Space. I've never played any of these. This was before I was into the um, the Telltale stuff. Um, so I can't really speak to those. But it did eventually come back and and had, uh, you know, had some stuff going for it. Like, they, they did a little bit of a comeback, old Sam and Max. And now they're gone again. They'll be back. Um, and then, <clears throat> so I don't know. So the, coming up towards sort of the end of the LucasArts adventure game era, to me, there's really two games that stand out as probably being the standout, like probably best games of the bunch. And the first one came out in 1995, and that's Full Throttle. Full Throttle is a game that it I probably didn't play until much later, like three or four years after it came out. But it was one of those games that, I constantly heard about and people were like full throttle is amazing you got to play full throttle it's a great game and to this day it is a well-regarded adventure game um Steve did you ever play full throttle never played full throttle Mm -mm. full throttle was fun um full throttle is a game um where you are playing a biker and it's not like sons of anarchy biker it's very cartoony there's some you know, comedy to it and stuff. There is, um, there's like a system where like you're riding around on your bike and you're fighting other bikers in certain spots. Mark Hamill does a voice. Um, what about you, Emily? Do you have any full throttle experience? Um, I had never played this one as a kid. I think probably this is just one that either like didn't appeal to my dad or Uh he just didn't think it would appeal to to like me and my siblings Mm -hmm. which is which is probably fair because like the whole like biker thing but when i went to get uh grim fandango and day of the tentacle they had a like one of those like packages you could buy through the through the itunes store Mm -hmm. that full throttle and then some other new double fine game was in so i've been playing it a little bit um I, I guess I didn't ever realize, because it was one that I'd heard of, I didn't realize it had this, like it is some sort of like futuristic. Yeah, it's kind like, of post-apocalyptic. Mass, yeah. But, but that's like, you know, like the, it's like gas is hard to get and there's mm-hmm. flying cars and. Yeah. It, it's still f- funny, but it feels like a more grown up funny than like tentacle or salmon max mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah i totally agree it's definitely a little more grown up um it's still got humor to it but it's definitely a different vibe of humor than you know your monkey islands or like you said your salmon max um it is a really good game it was one of those games that had a part in it when I was a kid that I got stuck on and I was like well fuck me I guess I'm never beating this game <laughs> and there's like this this seat secret entrance to like a base or something and to get into it you have to kick a wall right at the right time and I could not get the timing right and have never gotten past that part because I it pissed me off so bad I'm like I'm deleting this off of my 200 megabit fucking hard drive and I am never playing this again 
Get this three and a half inch <laughs> disc out of my face. Get it out of my sight. <laughs> um, I need to go back and finish it once again. So that's one thing is, I, and I think, you know, um, Tim Schafer and, and Double Fine, you, you, we owe a lot to them sort of preserving some of these games because they are directly responsible for like the Monkey Island remasters, Day of the Tentacle, Full Throttle, which is available, you know, on Game Pass and stuff. So um, um, it's one I should go back to. Uh, what about The Dig? Do you guys remember The Dig? I don't remember this one at all. Like it sounds vaguely familiar, but mm-hmm. the only re- reason I remember this was wasn't it somewhat recent that it got brought back into the news or something, or am I making that up? <laughs> it might have, it might have, but I can't remember. I'll tell you what I remember is I yeah. remember being hyped for this game like it was Street Fighter Six. I think it came out on Xbox game pass maybe like a couple of years ago um i think is what it was but uh i never played it um so the dig was written by steven spielberg right and that's they played heavily into that in the marketing it was going to be a sci-fi game um it's about these astronauts going to um an asteroid out in space and there's like some weird alien ruins and shit and uh so what you're what what you're saying is it's an excellent game that everybody should play no (laughs) i remember being one of my uh, definitely an earlier disappointment in games for something i was very hyped for was the dig um, I was like Steven Spielberg, Lucas Arts, Steven and George together. No, and George didn't have anything to do with this. He just wrote the check. Um, oh, and by the way, there's a novelization of this game written by Alan Dean Foster of Star Wars novelization fame. Oh my god! I need to track that down. Um, but yeah, man, the dig was a disappointment. Um, but, um. Then they put out another, um, now I haven't, I only ever played the first two Monkey Island games. I never played the Curse of Monkey Island that came out in 1997. It's certainly, this is really when they sort of hit that hand-drawn animation style, right? Um, Probably around the time that Sierra was doing like Space Quest VI and King's Quest VII. I never played this one. Did either of you guys play this? No. Yeah. They burned the next, me. The next game they released was the one that I played mm-hmm. a, de- a decent bit of. But uh, uh-huh. Monkey Island at this point wasn't a, really of interest to me. Yep. They burned me with two. So I was like, fuck the curse. You guys are cursed. And then what probably. So, I, you know, like I was saying, to me, Full Throttle and one other game are probably. Um, you know, the standouts, uh, nominees for the best LucasArts adventure games. And the next one was huge. And that was in 1998, Grim Fandango. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Emily, I know you've been playing this one, uh, replaying this one lately, right? Yeah, I, w- I was just playing a little bit of this last night, actually. And it's still really 
fun. I like the aesthetic of this oh. game because you are a, like the title says, you're you're a Grim Reaper, mm-hmm. and it's sort of this deal where <laughs> you have to like work off your some sort of like death debt to be able to like pay to get to the good part of the afterlife mm-hmm. and so basically you're you're selling souls on thing and this this woman comes through and then you're like interested in helping her and it just the, it has this um like the the skeletons all have this like day of the dead look to it mm-hmm. um so it has this heavy uh hispanic influence which i think is really cool mm-hmm. i mean definitely wasn't something i mean still isn't something you see a lot of in video games mm-hmm. yeah all like, the, most of the like, characters are hispanic right like yeah. well, and all the all the voice actor, actor actors were his, hispanic it wasn't they were like hey white guy can you be a spicy right. yeah you know no they like uh, they hired if not all a lot of actual like hispanic actors um and it's just so stylish, and I think it's yeah. Really... The aesthetic stands out so it does. much with that game. It does. I mean, like the Day of the Dead is just such a striking thing to make as your aesthetic, and really nailed it. You know, mm-hmm. that's when I think back on that game. It's been a while. I can't really remember much of the gameplay, other than you know, your typical use items, try to figure out puzzles, but. I just remember loving like the noir feel to it mm. and and the graphics, man. It's just a cool game. <laughs> and I feel like this game is really what sort of cemented Tim Schafer as like one of those video game developers whose name you know, right? Like of the hundreds of games we've played, there's only a handful of developers where we're like, oh, Tim Schafer. Hidetaki Miyazaki, what's up, footboy? You know, like, <laughs> you know, the names of certain developers, you know, right? John Romero. Um, Dai Katana, get out of here. Get out of here! Um, and this game, like, once again, I didn't play it on release. Like, at this time, I was, in 1998, I was probably cooling on adventure games by, by that point, you know? Um but the amount of internet good word, right? Like this would be one of those games that IGN was talking all the time about or any video game website or video game forum you would go to. People were constantly talking about Grim Fandango to the point where it's like, well, I guess I got to check it out. And it's awesome. So um, Check it out. Once again, I know we've been I've been saying this a lot. You can play it on Game Pass. Emily mentioned it. You can get it on your iPad. Like it's like five dollars or something crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's really good. And and like I remember really thinking it was neat that like it's split up into four acts and each act is a different year. So like it's four like each act starts, you know, November second, the day of the dead. And then the next act is a year later on November 2nd and so on and so forth. And I just remember being like, damn, this is cool. Four years passed. Who is this? John Favreau? There's a little deep cut Star Wars joke to <laughs> something everybody's freaking out about specifically today. Um, but yeah, I, I think Grin Fandango probably rightfully so is considered the best of the Lucas art, Lucas arts 
adventure games, right? Like, it, it, all the hype or good word that you may have ever heard about this game is um, definitely, yeah. you know. If you had to give somebody one game, one LucasArts game, it's probably that one. I mean, I know you guys have your nostalgia vibes for the early stuff like I do with Maniac Mansion and oh, I you guys play with all Indiana those Jones yeah. and stuff. Oh, yeah, but but if you had to distill it to one, you know, mm-hmm. um, I'd probably pick Grim Fandango. Yeah, and, and like if you dig Grim Fandango, there's you can just easily jump into the the following double mm-hmm. fine games like Broken Age or Psychonauts or whatever it is and have a really good time because they're really good. Um, and then the final LucasArts game that came out, once again, I never played it, Escape from Monkey Island in 2000. Kept going back to the well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were like, let's try Monkey Island again. It seems like it got decent reviews, but I don't know, man. I mean, I, re- I, re- I remember like people talking about it a lot mm-hmm. when it came out because it was a new Monkey Island game and it's like a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Just kind of feel like that era was ending for games. Like I think, oh yeah, it was it was moving on and kind of had been for a little while, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's no coincidence that Sierra's adventure game output and LucasArts' adventure game output all sort of started to peter out around the same time. You know, like Mm -hmm. that genre of games just sort of died out. And honestly, it wasn't until I don't know, maybe the last decade that it started to come back a good bit, right? Like you had your game, the Telltale games and Double Fine stuff. There's um, there's one that's kind of inspired by the X-Files that I always see on game or like on sale on the Xbox store that people really like. What is that game called? Fuck, I can't remember. Um, um, and sort of interesting, like, you can read about a lot of the canceled projects that LucasArts tried to get off the ground. Multiple sequels to Full Throttle they tried to do. Um, several Sam and Max sequels, like I mentioned. Um, and then, you know, it's another thing to keep in mind, right? The last adventure game comes out in 2000. What is LucasArts fully in the swing of in 2000? Star Wars prequel tie-in games because that's all they did for the next damn near decade. And, I mean, after that, it was all Star Wars all the time. Um, And how we never got a Star Wars LucasArts adventure game, like where you just basically took the engine from Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis and changed it to Han and Chewie, I don't know. Missed opportunity. (laughs) Um, but you know, um, a lot of the people, you know, once they stopped making these adventure games, a lot of the, the people that worked on these games went on to work with like Telltale and Double Fine and Autumn Moon and, you know, other, um, uh, companies like that. So, you know, they kept, they sort of kept the flame alive. I remember reading about, what were those games called? Broken Sword or something in Siberia, you would read about sort of point and click or, you know, adventure style games in the years after this, but nothing really seemed to, to take hold until honestly, honestly, the walking dead by telltale. 
I would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. That really seemed to reunite, reignite the adventure game. And, you know, Telltale had a lot of games before that, but I think that's really when they saw their first massive success. Um, and it but then it, it petered out, too. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> it didn't last long. That's a whole episode we could talk about. Their output and the tanking of that studio and the dip in quality. It's such a shame. It is. I know. I enjoyed their stuff. Me too. But you know what was, it was interesting, like playing the first season of The Walking Dead where there were puzzles, right? Like there were very um, well thought out puzzle elements like an old school adventure game. And then later, not just in The Walking Dead, but in, you know, like preceding um, games from Telltale, not so much like, um, the Wolf Among Us, it was pretty strong, but like, I um, love that one. That's my favorite one. Um, the Game of Thrones one, like, it, they basically basically just became dialogue choice simulators. Mm-hmm. There's no puzzles. It's just move from scene to scene and do dialogue choices. Yeah. Um, so, guys, that kind of wraps it up. Emily, do you have any last thoughts for us on uh, the legacy? I just, yeah, I think I really like th- this era in this style of games because mm-hmm. i was never i've never been great at games where like I, I, like even the fighting in these games when you do have to fight it's all very much like you're just either clicking the same button over and over again or it's turn-based mm-hmm. and that that's kind of always been my preferred m- method to play i like doing puzzles um, and also because of the age I was when these came out, this wasn't like me sitting in my apartment playing a video game. This was me sitting in the family computer room mm-hmm. with people coming in and out to watch the game. It was asking my dad when there was something that I couldn't figure out. I remember a couple of times, this is, you know, not because it's, but Haas's favorite game, Mist. Like I'd come Fucking to a point miss! where... Just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> a couple of times where I like I would get like absolutely stuck and I'm like I just like can't figure it out. I've been wandering over the island for like a freaking hour, mm-hmm. randomly moving levers. I don't I can't you know, I move a lever and you hear a sound and you have no idea what you've done. But then I'd come <laughs> back the next morning and my dad like figured out what he had solved whatever that puzzle was so I could like move on to the next part of the game. Nice. My dad was basically like in the era of not being able to just Google what I needed to do next. Dad was my walkthrough. Uh huh. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Uh, What about you, Steve? Um, you know, um, LucasArts was a fun time uh, for a while for me, especially in my early computer days. Like I said, Mm -hmm. I have a lot more nostalgia for that stuff. I kind of lost my taste for for that style of game in the early '90s, pretty much, and found myself loving Grim Fandango as like almost a throwback kind of experience for myself back then. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, a a good trip down memory lane with you guys. Um, Can I kind of share something quick that I wanted to share at the beginning of the episode that has nothing to do with LucasArts? So I had a kind of a banner ass day, Uh banner ass head ass day Uh in video games. Right. So, so I wake up this morning and okay, first of all, let me set it up with the day before blew out my tire on the Tampa St. Pete Bridge, which is basically the worst place to blow out your tire. So I had a real shitty end of my day. I wake up this morning 
Elden Ring has announced their freaking DLC. Uh-huh. Finally, although they don't have a date, they've announced it. It's a big step. I'm going to guess August, September, somewhere around there. Um, and then find out Ghost of Tsushima has freaking Bloodborne armor, which I found today. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then right before I get on the podcast with you guys, I get to Ascension 19 with the <gasps> Iron Chad. Yeah, man. Oh, damn. Bro, Steve didn't, Steve didn't have one damn bit of internet trouble. His ass was sitting on the couch yeah, going, I knew you were going to think that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. I'm just fucking around. I know. I just thought it'd be funny to say. I know. That's hilarious. All right, Emily. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on and being a guest this week. Yeah, I really yeah, enjoyed it. No, thanks for having me on. Like, I, I, even though I don't play much video games now, besides you guys getting me into Slay the Spire pretty hard. Like, I just, I love listening to you guys every week. It's so much fun. And just sort of the enthusiasm that you have for this stuff is really great to listen to. Well, thanks. Thank you. And so, we like your podcast as well. That's what I was going <laughs> to say. You guys should, if you haven't already, check out Emily and our friend Brittany over at the Canto Bite Dispatch podcast. Yeah, um, I miss when Brittany reads her diary. That was always kind of funny to me. Oh, yeah, we got to start doing that again. You do. I'll, I'll remind her. You do. Um, I'll say that Steve requested it, and then she'll do mm. it. Oh, she definitely will. She'll be like, oh, Steve, <laughs> he likes the Packers, too. <laughs> Boo, it's our Packers, buddy. Um, That's right. uh, so, Emily, why don't you tell everybody where they can find the podcast, find you on social media and all that stuff. Yeah, so uh, you know, look up look up Cantabite Dispatch at all of the normal podcast places. Uh, you can also find it on Twitter and Instagram at Cantabite Pod. I personally am on pretty much every social media as EFLind. That's E F L I N D. Um, you can come see me ranting about annoying decisions in Star Wars, but mostly I don't talk about that. <laughs> All right, so, hey, listen, guys, um, you should follow Steve on Twitter at Stoned Cobra. Follow me at Blue Harvest Pod. Follow the podcast at High Potion Pod. Are you playing Street Fighter Duel? If you are, you should join our guild. It's High Potion, all one word. High is capitalized, as is Potion, because that matters. You have to put it in exactly like that, or you won't find us. It's dumb. <laughs> Um, come hang out with us on stream at twitch.tv slash blueharvestpod we're always hanging out it's a good time and leave leave us a review for god's sakes alright thank you <laughs> peace and love we'll see you guys next week we love you bye bye bye